3: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 820 of Locked on Raptors for Friday, November the 6th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. You can also find the show on Twitter at Locked on Raptors. You can also find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and all the different platforms. And please, if you'd be so kind, leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you can leave reviews. I don't know what other ones you can leave reviews on. I'm an Apple boy. So either way, please, ratings, reviews, they're very, very nice. And I love you forever. If if you leave one, so thanks in advance. All right, on today's show, uh, the, the NBA is coming back apparently on December the 22nd. Uh, still lots to be ironed out in terms of the schedule and the protocols for safety and all that stuff. And it seems daunting to have a basketball season starting in seven weeks when America just had its highest ever COVID, ca- uh, COVID case count day, but. I guess we're here. This is what we're doing, and uh, because of that, we got to talk about it. So we're going to dive into how the restart is going to affect the Raptors. We'll talk a little bit about our feelings on the Raptors, and also we're going to talk all about Fred Van Vliet, some nuggets in Zach Lowe's big off-season primer piece yesterday for ESPN uh, involving Fred Van Vliet. So we'll get into that. And joining me to dive into all of this juicy content today is our pal from Raptors Republic, one of our favorites, uh, and one of the last people I saw in person. Not named uh my fiance. It is Lewis Satzman. What's it going on, buddy?
0: Hey man, thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure.
3: It's always good to have you, man. You're one of the kindest people in the world. It's a nice way to close out the week, especially a week like this one. Although things are looking up today.
0: <laughs> you can't see me, but I'm I'm pressing my hands to my heart. Enjoy at that compliment. <laughs>
3: Uh, all right, man, let's uh, let's dive on to this. We'll get to the Fred stuff a little bit later on in the final segment. But for the first couple segments, we'll just take a look at the NBA's plot to return here and kind of dive into it, how it affects the league as a whole, and then also the Raptors in particular. Um Basically, the reports last night are kind of the reports that have been coming out all week long. And there was not actually news last night necessarily, just a confirmation of something we expected. But the player representatives for all 30 teams for the NBAPA... D- N- N- B- P- a- uh, voted to approve the NBA's return date of December 22nd with a 72-game schedule. I believe if uh, the reporting is still holding up, the J- July 22nd would be the final day of the NBA Finals, potentially, and it, uh, in theory gets the guys available to play for the Olympics. I don't see how they're playing in the Olympics after playing into July, but that's for another day and it's uh it's exciting I'm tired thinking about it I was looking forward a little bit to a bit of an offseason here but instead we have basketball in like seven weeks and in between now and then is a draft and free agency and figuring out the safety protocols and the schedule and training camp and all that stuff and uh Lewis what was your sort of overarching reaction to all this any big takeaways from the news that December 22nd seems to be the date that's growing more and more is set in stone for the NBA to start the 2020, 2021 season.
0: Yeah. I think it was pretty clear that it was always going to happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately the NBA and this is idiomatic, but it's a business, right? They do it to make money. And if they pushed it past this date, they were going to lose a whole heck of a lot of money with uh, avoiding TV contracts. The CBA was going to be renegotiated people were going to lose billions and that's not exaggerating. Uh, So they would not have done that no matter what. I mean, players don't want a short off season. They don't want a 72 game season in a very short season, but you know what they want less is to lose half the money they're going to make. So this was always going to be the case. Um, In terms of enjoying basketball, it's fun to have all this stuff crammed together. I mean, We're gonna have a lot of crazy decisions coming one after the other. Trade season seems to be heating up rapidly. Lots of discussion about Drew Holiday now, for example. Uh, So sure, I mean, safety-wise, it's not perfect, but in terms of what the NBA is, it's probably the best we're gonna get.
3: Yeah, look, I was not shy in uh, talking about how little I believed in the idea of the bubble in Orlando, and I was proven extremely Mm -hmm. wrong about that. The NBA pulled it off and did it very well. I have similar concerns about starting back up without a bubble and including nationwide travel in the middle of what seems to be the worst wave yet down in the States. I mean, not seems to be very much by the numbers is, and it doesn't seem to be getting better anytime soon. And so I definitely have my hang-ups, but I also think I've resigned myself to the fact that these enormous corporate conglomerates are going to move on and power through. And also, I really do believe that the NBA will handle things better than MLB and the NFL. I I mean, it's hard not to handle things better than those leagues did. (laughs) (laughs) They kind of bungled it. I mean, MLB had a guy test positive in the middle of the final game of the World Series and then come back on the field and kiss people. So... You know, the NBA, the bar is not exactly high to clear here, but I don't know. What's your sort of feeling there, Lewis, on the NBA and their ability to kind of execute this thing in a more safe way? I mean, you have to expect positive tests. It's going to happen. I think I would be stunned if they got through the whole year traveling coast to coast without it. But how do you feel about the NBA's sort of track record now of taking this more seriously than the other leagues and maybe pulling it off in a reasonably safe way?
0: Yeah, I mean it's not going to be Orlando. Um, it's not going to be you know a two or three layered bubble where if there are positive tests they happen in isolation in the like that that level of safety won't be there. Um, that being said, they seem to have resigned themselves themselves to the possibility of positives as has the rest of North America. I mean uh, that risk exists. You know where I live and where you live and where we work, and uh, that's just what the world is now. I guess not something that we should be happy about, but reality is reality, right? It's a uh, it's a fact on the ground at this point, and the NBA is pushing forward. So is what it is, right? Yeah,
3: totally. I, I do. I-, I will say, I was encouraged by the December twenty second start date as opposed to January or even March that was thrown out because it did seem to signal. That the league was okay and resigned to the fact that fans weren't going to be realistic, and yes, that was a, don't wait on that. Yeah, that was a thing I was kind of okay with, and then it came out yesterday that oh, they might try to get like twenty-five to fifty percent of people into the suites and stuff like that. Um, you know, the, the it'll be obviously jurisdiction by jurisdiction as to who can actually go into games and how many people are allowed in there. But there are a lot of teams that play in jurisdictions where the people do not care about the virus, and so I yeah. do fear like. I would imagine Tillman Fertitta is just like frothing at the mouth thinking about a bunch of Houstonites sitting in his arena watching his team play so he can get that sweet, sweet money so he can pay back the bank a little bit. Uh, Of course, the bank owns his team, not him at this point. Um, And so like that is a concern for me, that they seem to be kind of throwing away that caution with fans. And I just hope the teams themselves... kind of use some discretion and don't just go with what the government says like is okay, because the government does not give a shit about people in a lot of these places. It's very clear at this point. And I hope the teams themselves kind of read the tea leaves and say, okay, we're allowed fifty percent capacity, but maybe we'll do twenty or twenty five. Frankly, I'm uncomfortable with any of it, considering they're indoor arenas, and usually basketball games are a place at which you would scream and yell and have lots of spittle (laughs) and like I just I'm just I'm not thrilled about that idea. I don't imagine there'll be like courtside fans or anything like that. That seems a little far fetched to me, but Again, those are expensive seats. If if people are going to pay up money to sit courtside, I would imagine some owners and teams will say, go ahead, give us your money. We'll be fine with it. Uh, Safety can be secondary here, which obviously is unfortunate, but is kind of the cynical approach you have to take to all this. Um, So I, I would say... If they were going to commit to no fans early on and kind of wait and see, I'd be okay with it. But maybe uh, that's not going to happen. And that is like my one big hang-up. Obviously, we still got to see what the safety protocols are going to be. Those not have not been negotiated yet. Those will come out over the next little while here. And that will obviously be very telling as to, you know... I'm sure the players will have some input. I'm sure the players don't want to be up and close and personal with people while they're traveling around and have their own families and stuff like that too. So lots to be figured out there. But in terms of the actual return plan, I'm more okay with it somehow that i was the bubble uh even though it's clearly less safe it's just sort of a throw your arms up and say all right type of thing which uh you know (laughs) 2020 baby um we'll continue on we're gonna get into how the restart will affect the raptors in particular in just a second but first i want to tell people about built go which is a great new product from our friends over at built bar and it is a wonderful way to help you break through the wall you run into pretty much every day I know me usually around like two o'clock sometimes earlier if I'm waking up super early for morning radio I end up really needing to take a nap and I just feel like my brain is going on like 50% and guess what built go can help you break through that wall and finish off your day in uh, in a more sort of productive and energetic way it's easy to take in 1.5 ounce packages you can just put it in your briefcase you can put it in your golf bag if you're going to play 18 you want to have it on the back nine maybe you're going to the gym you can just put it in your pocket and bring it with you you have it with your water bottle or whatever it might be built go is the best workout gel on the market it's a five-hour energy without the same crash feeling plus it's natural so it's better for the body it's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine and better results and it also comes in three delicious flavors for it for you including peanut butter honey chocolate coconut and chocolate mint you may be asking how does built go work and how does it work so well well built go combines energy gel with collagen protein collagen protein is fast absorbing so it gets into your system fast Plus, it's easy on the stomach. Built Go is loaded with the good stuff as well to ignite your work, including beta alanine, honey, and a kick of caffeine. And then it kicks to keep you going strong with B6 and B12 vitamins, 10,000% of your daily percentage of B6 and B12. And in addition, collagen promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. This stuff literally makes you look and feel better. Visit builtgo.com right now and use the promo code LOCKED, and you're going to get 20% off your next order. That's the promo code LOCKED for 20% off at builtgo.com. Let's go.
2: The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama.
3: All right, Lewis, so the Toronto Raptors are in an interesting predicament going into this uh, expedited start of the next season in the NBA. Seven weeks out, we don't know where they're going to play. We don't know what the schedule is going to look like. We don't know who's going to be on the team. Obviously, the free agency stuff is to figure out as well. And I wonder, I've talked about this on the podcast before, I wonder if the fact that there is no clarity as to where they're playing will affect their chances of landing people in free agency, whether their are own free, free agents or people from other teams. So, I don't know, Lewis, how, as a person who covers the Raptors, are you sort of looking at this start? Does it help the Raptors? Does it hurt them? I mean, it's going to be tough either way. They're going to be it seems playing outside of Canada, unless there's some sort of crazy rapid testing, you know, innovation in the next little while here that allows it to happen. And I I just don't see that happening considering how strict Canada was with the blue Jays. So I don't know what do the Raptors do here? What do you think the Raptors are thinking right now with so little time to figure all these logistics out?
0: Really important question. Um, I do think it does disadvantage them a little, right? Like they're the only team that has this disadvantage. But that being said, I mean, the Raptors have built up a cachet as one of the best two or three development teams in the league. So that should offset any – that's much bigger and more important because they don't want players who care more about location than they care about development. They want players who care about development the most, which is already the value they have. And secondly, this is kind of Toronto's least important offseason in a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, like the guys that they that they need, need, need for the future were locked up last offseason in Siakam or will be next offseason. Now, Fred Van Vliet is the outlier there. Um, really important part. Probably the only like massively important part of this offseason for the next five to ten year future. Mm-hmm. Um, but Van Vliet and Toronto have a wonderful relationship. I don't think playing in jersey instead of toronto should affect that so uh yeah i think it's business as usual maybe slight dampening but it's just going to be an off season where the raptors are trying to hold ship again so um so nothing to be worried there what what do you see as the best case i mean i'm sort of making it seem less exciting but do you think there's a chance of excitement like what could happen this offseason
3: yeah i don't think there's gonna be much i think like an interesting flyer or something like that on maybe a post type guy would be fun like i don't yeah, think like ronde last yeah like i think you know harry giles is the one that i want really badly i know blake murphy's also on that train he's the one that got me on it frankly he's the conductor of the harry giles express and so i would love to see harry giles uh, get a flyer as the backup center Uh, Other than that, though, yeah, they're not going to do anything big. The Montrezl Harrell thing has never made any sense, and I don't think that's going to take place. And it really is just a matter of keeping your dudes in-house. And I'm with you. I think, Fred, considering he's going to be up for a long-term deal, you know, a six-month inconvenience at the start of it, I don't think will deter him from signing with the Raptors if it's where he wants to be and the money's right. I think maybe Serge Ibaka could potentially, you know, have his decision-making affected here. I think a big part of... You know Serge's love of playing for the Raptors is the fact that he actually gets to be in Toronto, a place he seems to love, and if he can't be in Toronto anyway, then maybe he looks for greener pastures, but also the Raptors are the only team that's going to pay him big money on a one-year deal here. He's probably looking at the mid-level for other teams because there's not a lot of cap space out there. I don't see any of the cap space teams really throwing a ton of money at Serge Ibaka like the Hawks already have Clint Capella don't see that there the Knicks I mean I suppose they could do that but it's the Knicks and they have Mitchell Robinson already so they probably aren't looking to throw a big big bunch of money at a 30 year old center which
0: probably means they will be
3: (laughs) that's true I should never assign logic to the Knicks that's a very very foolhardy thing to do but I just think you know if Serge Ibaka can make 22 million with the Raptors this year as opposed to 24 million over three years with some other team i well, still exactly think he'd probably it. end up taking that deal even if it is playing in new york or newark or whatever it is um for for this coming season and then figure it out from there maybe he sticks around on a long-term small salary deal if the raptors get what they want in the summer of 2021 who knows but yeah, yeah. carry on
0: yeah he he's gonna get the you know the lowry deal compressed right mm-hmm. lowry had got way more per year from toronto than any other team was going to offer, but over three years instead of instead of more. Um, and Ibaka is going to get way more, but over one year instead of more. Mm-hmm. And I mean, smart money, I mean, the guy is going to have a great season. He's going to be starting. He's probably going to put up more numbers this year than last year, mm-hmm. which will lead to him as the cap expands next year, hopefully, when, when seats start being filled again for the 21-22 season. Ibaka could get a very big deal going into next offseason so if I were him I would prefer going into the free agency market in one year as opposed to in three years
3: yeah I'm with you there I also think you know, in terms of the how this all affects the Raptors, you know, the schedule should be talked about as well. And again, where they're going to play, we have no idea. I think it seems like Newark people are coming to their senses here and realizing it's the only sensible location. Uh, you know, Louisville's been turned down. I don't know if Kansas City's ever actually been real. It just kind of seems like the mayor being thirsty more than anything else. Um, yeah. And I know yesterday on the jump, Rachel Nichols and Matt Barnes were really on the, sh- the Seattle thing, but like, come on, what are we talking about here? It, the schedule won't work for that. You're going to move these guys the furthest possible distance away from where they typically play for a season where they're already being uprooted. Uh, That seems, again, like one of these shitty opportunistic test balloons for expansion that these cities teams seem to to be wanting to throw out when it's not at all the time for that. And I would hope the Raptors have a lot of say in this. I'm sure they've been asked. I'm sure they've they've put their opinions out there. Obviously, they did when it came to the Louisville thing when they shot that down right quick. Um, And it seems like it's trending toward they'll be in the New York area where they're a bus ride away from Philly and a bus ride away from Boston and Washington. And then they can just play the New York teams, uh, you know, taking the subway or walking or whatever it is. Um, Don't 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 take the subway. That sounds dangerous. But either way, um, that that seems like it's where it's going to be. It does also sound like there's going to be a pretty heavily skewed schedule towards conference and division play. And this is something I want to talk about, Lewis, because I find it fascinating. If the Atlantic Division plays each other a bunch, is that not going to like guarantee that like the Heat and the Bucks are just going to walk to the 1 seeds getting to beat up on their terrible divisions while the 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 Sixers, the Celtics, the Raptors and the Nets just beat the piss out of each other for the entire season and slot somewhere in 3 to 6?
0: I think that it's honestly so pronounced how good those four teams are. It's so obvious That I mean, the Knicks could go winless, first of all, but it's so obvious how much better the Atlantic Division is that the NBA has to do something about it, right? Like, it's not something that they could miss and just pretend won't happen because the Atlantic Division is just so superior. Mm. Like, I completely agree with you there. Um, How do you rank those teams, by the way? Like, three to six for sure, but where would they be?
3: Yeah, I don't really know. I think it would. we have to see what happens in the offseason, right? Like, what do the Nets do with Lavert and Dinwiddie and Allen? And do they get Joe Harris back? Like that, the the, the, the role players around the, the, the Durant and Irving 1-2 will be pretty telling for them. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with Fred and Serge and stuff like that, too. Like, just based on the current-day rosters, it's probably, for me, like Celtics, Nets, Raptors, Sixers. But... I have no idea. Hands in the air. <laughs> I just yeah. The, the thing I think is worth noting, though, is even if those teams do play each other a disproportionate amount of times, like I don't think that crazy heavy difficult schedule is going to cost like playoffs or anything like that for any of these teams. Obviously, it'll suck for the Raptors if they you know end up with a six seed as opposed to a three because of the yeah. It would just cost yeah. But I mean, they're not going to be at home anyway. It seems so. Maybe it doesn't matter. And I'm also yeah. kind of curious to see if they're going to bubble up the playoffs because or at least like the later rounds of the playoffs like MLB did, because that seems like once you get into that time, you're going to have no room for error. And if anybody tests positive, you're going to be screwed. So maybe home court won't even matter come playoff time either. Um, It's going to be weird. Do you think the lack of home court will affect the Raptors? I don't know if it will that much, considering they kind of are one of the more resilient teams you'll ever see. (laughs) And I I I think they'll be fine, but also it's not nothing, especially if they're playing in arenas where the other teams do have some semblance of home court.
0: It seemed to affect them in Orlando. Yeah. Like Pascal Siakam in particular, uh, I think his energy game was much quieter Mm -hmm. for sure. So yeah, I I do think that's a negative. Um, Definitely. I mean, the Raptors are running uphill this year for a bunch of different reasons.
3: It's okay. It means the season doesn't count. And anything that bad happens, it just, uh, it's an asterisk. It doesn't matter. It's beautiful. It's also
0: the least important year. Like, this year just doesn't matter that much to them. It's yeah. a fortunate that this is the year, right?
3: Yeah. This is, I, last year I called it the Hakuna Matata season. This year, exactly. it's very much just like fact finding before 2021 and just like, you know, idling in the parking lot, basically.
0: <laughs> just get through it. Yeah, yeah. Just get through So you mentioned, um, Sorry, I just uh, I was thinking about this and I didn't want to forget. You mentioned Harry Giles, mm-hmm. another king who I think would be so fortunate for Toronto to get a hold of. Uh, Rashawn Holmes. Mm. I mean, he's cheap, he's expiring, and he'll get a much bigger contract, which means his value is depressed. Toronto won't resign him, but man, is he a good center? I think right now he is much better than Harry Giles, much better. Toronto's not looking to develop they're just looking for someone good now and if they could just flip a second or maybe two seconds for him wow he would be good
3: I like that I like that a lot I like Rashawn Holmes I think he's really fun and good I was like I remember watching for some reason I I was doing a blog of some kind watching like the really really bad Sixers I think 15-16 and watching mm. and seeing Rashawn Holmes <sighs> play in his rookie year and being like this guy might be the best player on this very very terrible Sixers team kind of was Noel but good Yeah exactly uh, I, so I've always been a bit of a Rashawn Holmes head I'd be down for that That sounds good to me What's he making this year What's his uh 5 million Yeah you, hey uh, Stanley, Stanley Johnson, Johnson in 2 seconds yeah. yeah All right well we've done it <laughs> We we've, we've, we've successfully found the best path for the Raptors off the off season just keep Fred keep Serge and get a king center Uh...
0: (laughs) So you mentioned Surge at 24, agreed that that's possible, what do you think Fred makes?
3: Okay, well, let's get to Fred uh, in just a second on the other side of the break because that's the big thing I want to talk about uh, off of Zach Lowe's piece. So let's dive into Fred in just a sec. But first, I want to remind everybody that the NBA draft is uh, mercifully getting closer and you can get all the draft knowledge you need from Locked on NBA. The Locked on NBA draft show with Chad Ford and Tony Jones and Jeremy Wu and Brad Rowland are doing great stuff right now as well. And also on the Locked on NBA feed over the next little while, I believe starting on november the 12th or the 11th we are going to have a mock draft featuring all the hosts of the locked on nba channel Uh, i'll be picking 29th Uh, hopefully xavier tillman falls to me it's all i want the only person i care about in the draft this year Um, so stay tuned for that over at locked on nba subscribe right now so you get those special mock draft episodes in your feed
2: the nba playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama
3: Let's lead this off with the note from Zach Lowe's piece, which I think informs this whole conversation. So uh, Zach Lowe in his big dump of news and info ahead of the offseason had a big thing about Fred VanVleet near the top of the piece, sort of outlining the teams that would be involved in the conversation and also threw out a number that I think should encourage Raptors fans a little bit. He mentioned that the Knicks and Pistons were the two teams to watch. He didn't really mention the Hawks, which have been a team that's been thrown out. Uh, And we can get to the Suns as well, because they were mentioned in Zach Lowe's podcast with Bobby Marks yesterday. But um, the Knicks and the Pistons have been the teams that have been the boogeyman all season long, it seems, with Fred Van Vliet. And I was kind of always worried that he was going to receive some sort of contract in the range of like $25 million a year for one of those teams just because they're desperate and have money to burn. And Zach Lowe in his piece pointed out that twenty million would kind of be the quote unquote mega offer from the Pistons in theory for Fred Van Vliet. And as we've talked about, twenty million is kind of right at the top of the sweet spot for where you can thread the needle for the Raptors, where you can sign Fred and still have space for Giannis or whatever other free agent in the summer of twenty twenty one, that max slot. And so, I don't know, Lewis, I was pretty encouraged when I heard this. There was also the note in there that the Pistons might be more interested in using their cap space to acquire assets as opposed to using it on players, which is another positive sign. Reading that Zach Low piece, did you have any sort of change in your feeling of how likely it is that Fred will be back in Toronto? I
0: did. I, I agree with you. I think it's more likely. I mean, if they go to 20 at the top, Toronto matches happily, like yeah. gladly, yeah. you know, Uh there's no scenario if that's their top where they outbid Toronto to such an extent that it's uncomfortable and they just let him walk. Um, Which is fantastic because I think if Toronto were like the only suitor, they would probably offer a little less, something more like 17, 18 a year, but obviously they're not. It's a, it's a free market. He's unrestricted for the first time since he didn't get drafted and, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, Toronto is so happy at 20 because it fits. Uh, so the, the thing for me is, why would they do that? Like, he would immediately be the best player on either team, mm-hmm. Detroit or New York. Uh, and they know that if they bid 20 Toronto matches, why wouldn't they do the lowest number that if Toronto matches, they no longer have a max slot for the next offseason? Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense to
2: me.
3: Yeah, it's weird. I, I mean, hey, th- we don't know the numbers that Zach Lowe threw out are, are exact, right? And, you know, you never know what, like, the uh, <laughs> the, the, the sweet, sweet, uh, like, pheromones of free agency will do to you. And maybe they get excited and say, all right, here's 25, and then the Raptors have to probably walk away from that. I think, you know, there's this whole thing where there seems to be this panic over, you know, if you go beyond a certain point, you can't do anything next summer. That's not true. I mean, they're one move away at any time from getting that cap space, as Zach Lowe pointed out. It'd probably be Norman Powell. We also don't know what Norm's going to do with his player option next year. It's like 11.6 million. If he plays like he did this past season, and averages 16 a game and is in the six-man conversation on, on like crazy efficient scoring. Then he probably opts out of that 11.6 and looks for something bigger, right? So yeah. that might not even be a problem that needs to be worried about and quibbling over a couple million bucks if you view Fred to be a really important part of your future seems like maybe a way to kind of own yourself. So yeah, unless it gets something crazy and, you know, I think 24, 25 is probably what I would define as crazy for Fred. And I don't really, you know, I think Troy Weaver is probably smart enough to not do that. I think he realizes there's probably limitations to Fred as well. I think, you know, Dwayne Casey probably knows there's limitations to Fred having coached him before Mm -hmm. as great as he is. So then you kind of just are left with the Knicks and are they going to do something stupid? (laughs) Which very well could happen, but also I, I still feel pretty good about, even if the Raptors offer a little bit less than the Knicks, the culture and the winning and the relevance of being a really good player, one of the faces of a franchise on a team that is an entire country's favorite team where the endorsements have been quite kind to Fred so far. I think that will still tip the scales back in the favor of the Raptors keeping him. I will say, though, I'm a little freaked out about a couple teams that are kind of a move away in terms of creating cap space. Um, you know, the Hawks don't need to move anything, but they also seem to be with their fingers in pretty much every honeypot right now. And so but yeah. they might have higher priorities than Fred, considering they already have Trey Young. Um, but when it comes to the Suns, the team, again, that Bobby Marks and Zach Lowe talked about potentially having the room to do something crazy and, and you know, try to lure a big fish in. That, to me, is the team I'm the most worried about right now. They have Devin Booker, who seems like a perfect fit next to Fred VanVleet. Um, they kind of have the rest of their roster figured out with Mikal Bridges and Cam Johnson and DeAndre Ayton. Uh, you know, they keep Dario Sarge, they keep Kelly Oubre, whatever it might be. That is, to me, the team I'm the most worried about creating a little bit of space. I think they can just move Ricky Rubio and renounce Dario Saric, and they have the room to uh, sign Fred. They might not even have to move Ricky Rubio at that point. I'm unclear on the exact number. But what do you think about the Suns? Because to me, that freaks me out a little bit if they're going to come calling because they offer a pretty good opportunity considering they're riding the high of the 8-0 and in the bubble. They look like they're on their way up, and it would be a pretty damn good partnership between Booker and, and Van Vliet in that backcourt.
0: Yeah, I mean, the fit is perfect. I mean, as perfect as Lowry and Van Fleet, right? Uh, Booker is just, he's turned himself into such a player. And yeah, Fred does seem like the missing piece for them. Like, I think they become a playoff team, adding Fred. Um, the, but the thing is, he's in a situation where that's the norm for him. So does the concept of making a an average team into a good team, does that is that better than staying on a good, maybe great team? Like, I don't think... If Fred were to go to Phoenix, I don't think that would make Phoenix better than Toronto with Fred, for example. And Toronto has its sights set on a lot more in the future. So I think it's not necessarily a better situation for him. Certainly not one that's, uh, you know, overwhelmingly better to make him make the decision. So it comes down to the money. And would Phoenix, given their roster situation, would they offer more than 20? I, I don't know if that's certain either. So, uh, I see Phoenix as an appealing spot for us just because we see why the basketball makes sense. But uh, I'm not sure if it's actually more threatening.
3: That's a good point. Um, Yeah, everyone gets very paranoid at this time of year, obviously, when you have a big free agent. I mean, this is not new for Raptors fans. People were shitting bricks bricks about Kyle Lowry signing with Philly or Minnesota a couple years back, too, and obviously...
0: And partially because... He would have made those teams so good mm-hmm. if he had signed, mm-hmm. right? Like that is part of the appeal for us, but it's not that. Like it's not as significant for them. Like they're not analysts; they're players. Yeah, and they make their choices based on different
3: things. Yeah, totally. Uh, and yeah, I, I think if you had asked me, you know, forty-eight hours ago, how I felt about uh, not just Fred VanVleet but the world, uh, my opinions have moved slightly more positive in the last forty-eight hours about <laughs> everything. Um, and yeah, I think. I'm Because I told you we got a puppy, right? This That's is true. What yes, I'm very excited for uh, puppy Zatsman. That's uh, <laughs> does it have an Instagram account yet?
0: No, she's not gonna. Her name's Millie, by the <laughs> oh, way. Oh, Millie! Oh,
3: what a what a good dog name! Oh,
0: wonderful! The best. I'm excited
3: she's for just make a private account just so I can follow it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll
0: just send you pics every week. That, Hello, that works
3: too. That's totally fine. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good place to leave it. Good vibes on Fred Van Vliet heading into the weekend, I think, is kind of how I'm at. Um, Lewis, do you have anything? Uh, first of all, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. It was great to talk to you. But do you have anything you'd like to promote? Always. Uh, I haven't been doing
0: much recently, man. Not so much writing. I uh, started a new job, got the new dog. Uh, a little too busy these days to write. But if basketball's coming back, then so too will I.
3: Hell yeah. Uh, at Lewis Atzman on Twitter, correct? That's right. You got me. Paul Lewis there. He's one of the nicest people in the whole wide world. Um, (laughs) I am not one of the nicest people in the whole wide world. I'm fine. You can find me on Twitter at Woodley You can subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I also have my annual ranking every Raptor update available over at raptorshq.com. We talked about it on the podcast on Monday and Wednesday if you want to go back and listen to those. Uh, I think I nailed the ranking this year. I don't know. I, I I did a pretty good job. You know, Vivek had his quibbles on Monday and Wednesday, but for the most part, I think I knocked it out of the park, if I do say so myself. So go and check that As out. As you
0: always do.
3: Oh, thanks, buddy. You're so nice. Again, nicest man in the world. Uh, <laughs> telling lies to uplift me. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Of course, make sure you're checking out all of the Locked On Podcast Network shows. It's much appreciated when you go ahead and do that. Next week on the podcast, we will continue to talk about the draft. We'll look at maybe some more prospects and whatnot uh, that might be in the range for the Raptors. uh, And also... Tuesday's episode, I'm recording it Monday night but Tuesday I'm going to have Lazarus Jackson on from the SB Nation Pistons site Uh, we're going to talk about the Pistons and their sort of plotting for Fred Van Vliet and whether it's something Raptors fans should be worried about so we'll get the Detroit side of the Van Vliet conversation, also I'm going to have to ask him about Xavier Tillman, my favorite prospect, who I've mentioned on every episode for three weeks, uh, because Lazarus is a Michigan State guy as is Xavier Tillman, so we'll get into that talk Cassius Winston probably too and uh, it'll be a good time, so stay around. That'll be next week on the podcast. Until then, have a wonderful weekend and we'll talk to you on Monday with another episode of Locked on Raptors.
2: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked on podcast ad free on Amazon Music.